Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It is Tuesday, July 18th. Training camp is getting ready to begin. Running backs are very upset. DeAndre Hopkins signed with the Super Bowl contender Tennessee Titans for some reason. And I needed someone to help me come break down all this as I've been away. And who better than Rich Rebar? So let's get into it. Rich, I, I did it to you again. I hit you on a short notice. I didn't give you time. So I promise you next time I'll give you like a week and we'll figure it out from there. But thank you for stepping in for Eric tonight and uh, coming on the show to talk some football. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing really happening. I mean, we did get the DeAndre Hopkins signing. But like, There's no like action, actionable news that we've had yet, not until camp's open, really. So uh, all this stuff, like we're pretty well versed on. Yeah, we're pretty well versed <laughs> on it, but also – we have running backs that are acting like they're about to form their own picket lines outside of these stadiums. Like every single running back in the league is upset. Saquon doesn't get a deal. Pollard doesn't get the deal. Josh Jacobs doesn't get the deal. We should probably just start with this. I, I mean, we know what the running back position is and it's unfortunate for these guys Mm -hmm. who are like world-class athletes, but it is what it is. It's a short shelf life. Teams want to move on quickly now. I think the Le'Veon Bell situation from a few years back really like opened the eyes to a lot of the GMs and teams after he held out for the year, came back, and just was not anywhere close to what he used to be. And he still got paid. And I just think teams do not want to pay these running backs anymore. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it means for this season going forward. I can't imagine any of the guys not suiting up week one, but do you have any takes on this? Yeah, I think what happened to Le'Veon Bell is almost a cautionary tale, the inverse too. So like these guys are they, like, even if they wanted the threat to hold out, like, could they really? Cause look what happened to Le'Veon, you know, yeah. uh, it was such a, it was such a train wreck for the remainder of his career. And I did get the one, at least big contractual, he got the money, you know, afterwards, you know, from from the jets but like his career was over essentially after he held out so like are any of these guys really going to follow through if they want to hold out i don't think pollard has never been in that bucket but jacobs and saquon have both kind of you know hinted at and hinted at things uh jonathan taylor said he's going to bet on himself anyways he wasn't a first round pick so they can't use the fifth year option on him but he has already said that like he's going to bet on himself and go through kind of the motions here uh before he gets his new deal but 
I mean, it's it's just one of these things that sucks in both de- both departments, right? Like it's one of these things like not to have like a this is business and, you know, you understand, you know, replaceability for labor. Uh, and that's kind of what's happening right now. Uh, and then, you know, they can't create a free market. So like that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. What, what does happen? Does like The Rock pull like all his money together and say like, Saquon, I can give you this much money to come play in the XFL? Oh, like, all I this, see. Like that's really the only other option, right? Like that's really the only thing that can happen is if like something like that were to happen. We're like, uh, well, so what did The Rock just get quoted as like the biggest movie quote ever to be in whatever he's got coming up, uh, the largest pay I saw like an actor. It's going to take something like that, right? because of the nfl like their hands are just kind of tied the way because the cba is not up until 2030 so i mean it's seven years from now so i didn't even think of that and it, it's so that's a one percent outcome but let's right, just right. It's just, it'd be funny though it'd be hilarious. let's just play that out real quick because if they signed like saquon barkley right to to the xfl that first game the ratings would be through the roof and I think the second game would have the biggest ratings drop off of anything <laughs> ever of all time. You're right? running back too. Like who's going to like, who's really like, it's not like Barry Sanders. Like right. maybe, uh, you know, Saquon rookie year, people were like watching Giants games just to watch Saquon. But I don't think anyone watches Giants games even to, to watch. It's like, I have to see Saquon Barkley play this week. Does anybody watch Giants games? Is that, <laughs> is that a thing? I live with a Giants fan. So yeah, every week, man, I have to do it. <laughs> God, I feel so bad for you. I think this year, the Giants, I, I want to say like the first seven weeks of the season, they're on primetime, I think, for the first seven weeks. It's crazy. Some of the teams that get on primetime like consistently, you're just like, why? Why do I have to watch this team over and over and over again? Thank God for like the, you know, the scheduling where they allow like flexibility at, towards the end of the year. But there's teams that get on. Yeah, yeah. Week one, uh, Sunday night, Giants-Cowboys. Week three, Giants-49ers on Thursday night. Week four, Monday night, Giants at Seahawks. Week six, Sunday night, Giants at Bills. I mean... So for the first six weeks, the Giants are on primetime. That's more Daniel Jones than I want to see that (laughs) early in the season. So let's just stick with this running back thing for one second because... We're going to try to twist these a little bit into best ball takes. And as this is breaking, we're starting to see Saquon and Josh Jacobs fall a little bit in drafts. Right. So I haven't been taking a lot of Saquon, and I haven't even touched Josh Jacobs this year, to be completely honest. So from your point of view, this would be the time to take them, right? As they're falling, if you want them in your buckets at all, do it now before they actually do sign towards the end of training camp or right before the season and get your exposure now. Right. Yeah. This is when you would buy that little dip. I haven't really, I don't know if I've drafted either guy, either definitely not Josh Jacobs. I've not drafted at all. I think I might've thrown Saquon in, uh, be just trying to be unique kind of in that spot of the draft or if he dipped a little bit when that, when like running backs were super plummeting, but yeah, this would be the kind of the time to get it. And you know, the kind of the, the way the meta has kind of played out a little bit is where if you're picking at the front of drafts and taking a wide receiver, it's almost encouraged you to kind of go running back, running back because that firewall of wide receivers is off the board now. 
and then you're into like the T Higgins of the world, like at the two, three turn and you're forced to take T Higgins over like really good players like Nick Chubb and other guys like that. So if they can each fall to kind of that area, maybe you kind of get some exposure there or, you know, with your Jefferson Cooper cup Jamar chase teams. Um, and you hopefully that you run into one of those big wide receiver or running back one seasons. I still like, don't know if I would take Josh Jacobs though. I, <laughs> I think he still needs to fall a lot further. Saquon, yeah. you can at least talk yourself into, um, just being such a, a key part of a cog of the offense and not, not that Josh Jacobs isn't, but when you look at Josh Jacobs, historically players that have gotten that many touches in an NFL season, typically the next year, the drop off has been so staggering and so consistent. The one guy that's been kind of able to buck that trend is Derrick Henry. Who's just a phantom. So like banking on Josh Jacobs to be, who's been an underrated player, but like banking him on just like to be a Derrick Henry type player and to get that absorbent amount of touches and be that kind of that unique of a player, I think is probably very thin. Like you're operating on very thin margins there. So I'm curious to see where he does fall. It's funny because last year I, I'm not going to say I was all in on Josh Jacobs, but I was over over the field to exposure because he was like seventh, eighth rounder a lot of the time. And yeah, people he just have fit my builds. To- People have started to compare, like, the you've seen the takes where people are like, Najee Harris is this year's Josh Jacobs. I'm like, do you guys remember what happened to Josh Jacobs in August? Like, he was going in, he was a zero RB running back target because he was going in the seventh, eighth round come August. Like, yeah. when, he, when, he, when he opened that Hall of Fame game and started, when he was playing, you know, special teams in the preseason, people were like, eject, people ejected. And then he became this kind of, like, great cog and, like, zero RB build. So he was even, like, a big win for the dead zone running backs, even though he was a dead zone running back for, you know, two or three months there to start the offseason. But he was, like, a huge boon for zero RB guys last year. Yeah. I mean, the, the better comparison is probably, like, Cam Akers or something like that right. in terms of Josh Jacobs, who – I do grab quite a bit of it's tougher because there is that is a little pocket of wide receivers that I have like that's your uh, that's your big risk, big return receivers. It's like Kadarius, Tony, Gabe Davis, and they fit a lot of the builds that I'm doing where it's like, well, I can take the I can take on the risk here with these guys based on who I'm drafting. So I do like cam makers. Let's stick on running backs because a guy that I'm a little shocked where people are just completely out on is Alexander Madison. And I kind of want your Alexander Madison take because our good friend, John Daigle, absolutely hates Alexander Madison. And he is not drafting Alexander Madison one bit. He's going like late fifth, early sixth round still. And I'm not in love with Alexander Madison, but it feels like he's still a decent price point at late fifth, early sixth rounds on the offense that he's in. He's going to get a majority of the work there. What am I missing with Alexander Madison? Yeah, it's really tough, right? Because we want running backs that have volumes, uh, projectable, good offense could be a three down running back. When you look at the the depth chart for the Vikings, I mean, you've got a lot of guys that just have no NFL experience. I mean, you know, Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride really have what a combined 30 touches in the NFL. So like none of those guys are going to play passing downs. Uh, for sure. And Dwayne McBride absolutely is definitely not playing passing downs. He as good as a pure runner. He was in college. Like he's an, he was an abject disaster in the passing game. And he's also had, yeah, he had fumbling problems too. If he starts his career off like that, then that's a, you know, an issue in the NFL where he's just not going to get on the field early, but with Madison, he's very tricky because he hasn't been very good at all. 
he doesn't have a great like uh you know profile as a prospect so like does he just fit like being kind of one of these like dead zony type running backs right uh because the closing line value we're getting crushed on anyways even if he does look like a little bit value now like we're still getting crushed on the closing line value from when he was an eighth rounder right. uh you know a ninth rounder and a handcuff back to, to open the offseason so he's kind of a unique player not that you can't draft him and still run into production like remember people said that about Clyde edwards alaire when he uh you know um that the year he went to the chiefs they're like oh well, you're screwed when uh damian williams got cut remember like damian williams got cut like in in august or got yeah. hurt and people were like oh you're screwed you can't win now if you take you know ceh in the second round so you still can you can still win if you take alexander madison he hits in that area um, but he just does fit like this profile. He's not quite Mike Davis, Atlanta Falcons is from a couple years ago, but like there's still nothing alluring about the player. And I always tell myself from a fantasy football stance, if the argument doesn't start with the player first, it's almost always a trap, right? Like Ooh, that's a good way to look at it. You know, at any time I've started one of these things where I'd start with the situation, I'm like, Ooh, I like the situation here. I like this for the player. But if the argument doesn't start for me with the player first, I'm always, always wrong in retrospect about the about the situation and stuff like so he is one of these guys i still have a hard time clicking the button i was drafting him early just because of that this outcome right like people right. like acted like when dalvin cook finally got released like it was something that just like happened because like, we yeah. had known for two months like yeah, we, knew. Know, we knew this was coming <laughs> so like i kept taking him on some teams there because just for like I said the potential closing line value i haven't drafted him since the dalvin cook uh release but uh, yeah, because I every time I go to the pros for Alexander Madison, they never start with Alexander Madison, the player. And to me, that's always like a big red flag. Mm. So a couple other running backs in this range, a little bit past him. One guy that I am like super overweight on just because of the builds that I'm doing is AJ Dillon right now. Like when I was looking at my exposure, I was like, holy shit, why do I have so much AJ Dillon? And it's just because he sort of fits like what I'm building in terms of like my rosters and structures and stuff like that. And he's a guy that I find like interesting where he's going in like that ninth, 10th round because people were all about him last year. And I was out on him last year because he was going, he got up to the fifth round last mm -hmm. year. And I was like, dude, like not for this offense, not right now, but as a ninth, 10th rounder, it's almost like the Josh Jacobs things for me, where it's like when he's too high, I just want to fade completely. But when he's going in that ninth, tenth round, it's like, yeah, he fits all the builds that I want. He's a good bring back, especially on some of the Minnesota teams for the week 17 stuff. Uh, they're probably going to rely on the running game quite a bit in Green Bay with Jordan Love coming in as as the quarterback. I can't imagine they're going to say, hey, Jordan Love, go out there and throw it 50 times a game. I mean, they might have to if their defense is bad enough, but in the beginning, I don't think that's what they're going to try to do. So am I am I over reading this A.J. Dillon situation? No, I think this is the format to take A.J. Dillon, right? Because he already has touchdown equity in the offense. Uh, you know, you look at the past two years, he's out-touched Aaron Jones 20 to 8 inside the five-yard line. So he already has touchdown equity. It's a good offensive line. You talked about the transition from Jordan Love, Darren Rodgers. Like to me, this this team is screaming to me like they want to control the football with the run mm -hmm. game. Um, and then you have the contingent value. If anything were to happen to Aaron Jones, obviously you would just have a high volume running back, right? And he's and he's already shown when Aaron Jones is out, like he will catch the football. He'll he'll get you some receptions. So I think it's a perfect format to kind of take swings on AJ Dillon, even though he's a guy that like underperformed last year, hasn't really been like a, you know, outstanding player at this point, just because you can luck box into weekly touchdowns because he has that role already in the offense. You hit the contingency value. Uh, to me, it makes a lot of sense. 
All right. Let's stop talking about you made me feel better about AJ Dillon. Let's stop talking about running backs for one of the two. One of the two. (laughs) Let's talk about let's talk about this DeAndre Hopkins thing. And I don't it's whatever. DeAndre Hopkins is 50 years old now. Um, I think he's still gonna be fine as a player. But I do think what it's made me do is think about the Tennessee offense as a whole a little bit more because I was just out on Tennessee to start the offseason. It's like Tannehill didn't look great last year. He also got hurt. You have Chig, who looks like a decent tight end, right? He looks like he could do some stuff. Traylon Burks, I I don't even know what to think about him still, but there's potential there. Derrick Henry's coming back. It feels like they could actually be a good offense this year, but it also feels like they could be a bottom three offense. Like, I just don't know where to gauge this team. Should we be drafting Tennessee Titans? They are Help a good me. they're they're a good blind bet for just natural regression when you look at you know teams that bottomed out offensively and, and, and tend to recoil. Uh they were, you know, at the bottom of the league of scoring rate per drive, basically every single metric. Obviously, they had to play Malik Willis for a stretch of games last year, and we saw that went uh, you know, they'd start Joshua Dobbs in his first career start. Uh, so there is still like when you look at them from a whole, like there's definitely room for improvement. Obviously, them signing Hopkins shows that they want to be good. The question is, like, are they still good enough at a certain point? Like, we know Ryan Tano going at age 35, like, really isn't the long-term answer for this roster. Could this be a situation that's like a bridge, like, similar to what happened to Derek Carr last year, where, like, the team ends up just being out in the season or, like, they're objectively just not in the playoff hunt and they're just they just look at Will Levis. They're staring down the gun barrel of potentially having a high draft pick and taking a first-round quarterback, so they just have to see what they have in Will Levis. Does that scenario happen? There are a lot of ranges of outcomes where Ryan Tannehill doesn't start 17 games, right? Right. Like, because it, 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 I saw a lot of people, like, he's getting he's getting pumped, and, like, I, I can't draft him because, I mean, how can you take him over some of these guys? Like, even, like, a Jordan Love, we just talked about, like, Jordan Love's playing all 17 games without an injury. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan Tannehill, we cannot say that. I mean, they opened the year at New Orleans versus the Chargers at Cleveland against the Bengals at the Colts then the Ravens, then they've got Falcon Steelers. Like those are their first eight games. Now Vrabel has got that Mike Tomlin gene, like the alligator blood, like this team's probably going to be competitive, but like if they're two and six, like what, like what, what the hell do they have to go on for? Like, like what, what with Ryan Tannehill, like that exists in the range of outcomes. Um, so I don't know if like, I'm really excited about like, this is like a huge boon for Ryan Tannehill. Cause I still think there are a lot of avenues where he doesn't make it through the season. Uh, then then you talk about DeAndre Hopkins like then does he play with Will Levis Uh, which is a problem because when you look at historically how guys have underperformed with with rookie quarterbacks the other thing with DeAndre Hopkins you say just turned 31 in June Uh, he averaged a career low uh, 11.2 yards per catch last season he was still predicated on volume he still is a target earner but don't forget how much the Arizona Cardinals threw last year in those games when he was, when he was on the field, that's not going to happen in Tennessee. Even if they're bad, this is a team that's consistently played slow. Um, So now does Deandre Hopkins, are you scared of him beating you if you bypass, right? Like in his range of outcomes. And now I'm not right. Like if if Deandre Hopkins ends up on the chiefs, if he ends up on the bills, there's a range of outcomes where I'm like, Ooh, I I could lose the Deandre Hopkins. But like, right. what's the ceiling like outcome for DeAndre Hopkins? Because you can still make a case he belongs in like that fourth, fifth round area. But are you scared of getting beat by him at this point? I don't think with him on the Titans, I am. Like, I'm. I don't think he has like a a, 14, a thirteen to fourteen hundred yard season. In him, right? I don't think he has twelve to fifteen touchdowns in him. 
in this offense, especially if Will Levis plays. So now it kind of moves him into the same bucket of like a, a Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, guys that could be target earners, but have like this surplus of red flags in terms of offense surrounding quarterback. And like, I'm just not scared to lose to any of those guys. All right. So you, you made me think of something here. Could DeAndre Hopkins be last year's Mike Evans? Super low advanced rate guy, right? Gets the playoff schedule twice against Houston. Right. Revenge game, whatever you want to call it. Bad, you know, bad defense. Um, If you can get DeAndre Hopkins to a final, he could put up two touchdowns against the Houston Texans in week 17. But be prepared that he is an absolute low advance rate guy. I can't imagine him being a high advance rate guy over the season in Tennessee. But No, because he's another guy, even when you talk about this move, like – the closing line value probably dips now, right? Because mm-hmm. people were people were taking swings. The hell, I was even a couple of times. It's like, well, what if the student ends up as a, as a chief? You know, at wide receiver twenty six. Like, all right, like I'll at least play that in the range of outcomes. Uh, that doesn't look good now at all. But right. Uh, <laughs> but right. you know, now the closing line value probably drops. He probably ends up in like that wide receiver twenty four to thirty range. Thirty range, yeah. Probably in that. He'll mix right in to that that Drake London like Terry McLaurin group grouping right there, probably towards the end of that. You brought up the chiefs. Let's talk about chiefs wide receivers, because that is a freaking group that nobody knows what to do with really right now. We have Kadarius, Tony, we have MVS, we have Rasheed Rice, we have Sky Moore. What is your read on that situation over there? Yeah. And a team that didn't play a lot of three wide receiver sets last year, granted uh, they didn't have the depth. I don't know if they will either. I see Rasheed Rice as like uh, a year away, right? Like the chiefs mm-hmm. have slow played rookies anyways, uh, because they've been afforded to, they've been really good. They've been a really good team. Uh, uh, but I see Rasheed Rice as like the MVS replacement, right? A year from now. Uh, I still think that MVS is going to log a lot of exercise, a lot more than people want. <laughs> uh, he's going to be running a lot of routes, about the team and pass routes last year. He's going to be doing that again, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I don't have any pushback on Kadarius Tony's ADP because, you know, he's a first-round pedigree, obviously the talent's there, but, like, he fits, like, kind of certain builds, right? Like you said, like, it's when these wide receiver-heavy teams and you can kind of afford to say, like, all right, I just want the volatile weeks, I'll take those. But he hasn't really shown that he's got any nuance, like he hasn't played any actual wide receiver in the NFL yet. Uh, to me, Sky Moore has been the most interesting guy at ADP because I think that it always set up for him to be the juju replacement after this year. And I think that's exactly what the signal's been this entire offseason, especially through beat guys, that he's going to be locked into that kind of slot role. Now, does he play in two wide receiver sets is the question. Because again, this is a team that did not run a lot of 11 personnel last year. So if he's only going to be the slot guy and he's only going to get in on 11 personnel on a team that didn't run a lot of 11 personnel and it's still MVS and Tony when it's two wide receiver stuff, uh, that becomes a problem. But I have found him the most interesting guy at ADP uh, because he was the guy people were high on last year. Again, irrationally high because it always looked like he was going to be behind Juju for a year. Uh, and now here we go. I think Rasheed Rice is in that same exact bucket where Sky Moore was just with MVS a year ago. Uh, but I've been drafting Sky Moore. I've been drafting Tony on teams where I go wide receiver heavy because uh, of those spike week potential, especially getting that Mahomes attachment. Plus the thing with Chiefs, that's an interesting thing that not nah, people talk about though. Like, and I don't wish this at all, but like eventually Travis Kelsey, like has to like have an injury or something, right? Like no one plays tight end 
and never gets hurt. Travis Kelsey's been on the injury report three times since his rookie season when he had he came off the microfracture surgery. Like the dude has had just an amazing run of health. Mm-hmm. Like and like, what does this Chiefs offense look like without Travis Kelsey? We haven't seen it operate without both Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill basically ever. And I'm not wishing that Travis Kelsey, but like what happens if Travis Kelsey misses any stretch of time to this offense? Like, what does it look like? Right. Like there's just all these questions because I know Eric's talked about this before. Like I'm writing a series right now on the site. That's more of like a looking at team outlooks and team regression stuff instead of individual player stuff. Cause I kind of set the foundation for all that this off season already, but like talking about team outcomes and like what could happen to these teams? Like what if there's a stretch where Travis Kelsey misses a month, he has a hamstring injury. Like what happens to this offense? What does it look like? Right. And I think that kind of is something, a scenario you have to walk yourself through. I'm not even just looking at it from the injury aspect. I'm looking at it from him being 34 years old. And if the Chiefs are actually like just rampaging through teams and like just killing teams and the record's getting out of control, they might treat it like the NBA. What if they're just like, you know what? We're going to rest Travis Kelsey after a couple series this game. He's just not getting as much as many plays in as he normally does. I think that's a real outcome and they save him for the playoffs a little bit more. We saw it happen with Gronk quite a bit. I know there's a lot more injury history with, with that particular player, but they're, they're in it to win Super Bowls. They're not in it for, you know, the regular season awards and stuff like that. At this point, I wouldn't be shocked if you see some like quote unquote, Travis Kelsey rest games. That's what scares the hell out of me, especially with first round capital for Travis Kelsey for everything you said for the rest possibility. It's funny because I'm super overweight on Mahomes and I am very underweight on Travis Kelsey. So my Mahomes builds are without Kelsey. It's rotating all the wide receivers. It's putting Noah Gray in there in the 18th, 19th, 20th round, depending on which site I'm drafting on, just as like a third tight end sometimes to see if we get two tight end sets as well, even if Kelsey is out there. So I'm building my Chiefs teams a little bit more different than I think some other people are, but I'm more than fine with it. Yeah, Travis Kelsey has been one of my hardest guys to draft at exposure to. And it's funny as you brought up about – so this scenario happened. It's been happening. So Travis Kelsey at age 30 played 93% of the Chiefs snaps. Since then, it's been 86%, 82%. And last year he played all 17 games and still only played 80% of the snaps. Like they are – like what you said definitely is happening already. Yeah, like they they are reducing his workload for sure um, as it's gone on as he's hit the, as he's hit his early thirties. The other thing is like there's just no way Travis Kelsey objectively has the positional leverage he had last year. And I wrote an article about this a while ago. Last year's tight end two only produced sixty eight percent of Travis Kelsey's season long output. It was the lowest rate of the tight end two has produced of of the tight end one output in a, in an NFL season over the past thirty years. Uh, even Travis Kelsey, the other years he led the all tight ends in scoring, the tight end two had 94%, 97%, 95%, 88%, and 89% of that output of Travis Kelsey that season. 68% is a massive drop off. The field's just the field, the tight end field's just going to be better this year. They're objectively better than it was a year ago. There's just no way it won't. You just bet on that being blind objective fact. So Kelsey isn't going to have as much positional leverage as he carried last year either even if he is the tight end one overall again and you draft him and got that production again the tight end field is just a really strong objective bet to match more of his production this year yes um i want to stick in the in the afc west and talk about some more wide receivers and teams over there but first we do have a question in the chat 
that is Rich and Rob. What 17th and 18th round players are you happily overweight on? And which late round players do you wish ha- you had a little more stock in? Do you have any players like that you love taking in the late round? Or are you just mixing in a bunch of different players throughout? Typically mixing in a lot of guys, but uh, I've mentioned it. Corey Davis. Corey Davis mm-hmm. on a few shows. Like Corey Davis easily is one of my favorite 17th, 18th round picks for a few reasons. Uh, one, I believe he's just a, a better player than Alizard. It doesn't matter. The, Aaron Rodgers doesn't think that and, and, and made them sign uh, Al Lazard. So he's probably not going to play in two wide receiver sets, but he's really great in the run game. He's actually been a better run blocker the past years than Al Lazard. Also, Corey Davis, like he's had already spouts of big games the past two years. And he, we know he has talent. He has pedigree coming to the NFL. And he's never played with a good quarterback his whole career. Just vagabonds. Uh, and then you talk about contingency value. What if something happens to Lazard? What if something happens to Garrett Wilson? Like, so Corey Davis has been easily one of my favorite players that doesn't really get like the, that hasn't gotten the Aaron Rodgers bump, but I've been drafting a ton of him at the end of, end of, end of, end of drafts. For me, it's, I love taking Isaiah Likely in the, in the end of the drafts. And, that's obviously contingent value with Mark Andrews, but I do think he still has a little bit of standalone value. The Ravens want to do like a little bit more on up tempo, according to them. What if they're running two tight end sets with Lamar? If they are, likely he's probably going to be on the field. I don't think he's going to come out here and be a tight end one by any means, unless Andrews is hurt. But I think he's a fun add on, especially for like either your Miami or Baltimore builds when you're building that game stack towards the end. There's a couple other guys I like towards the end too. Malik Davis, I mean, for running backs, if you're looking for somebody in the 18th round, just your your dart throwing. Malik Davis, I think, is definitely going to win the the backup job down in Dallas. So I grabbed some Malik Davis. But I'm not – last year it was Dearness Johnson, and I'm not as into anyone as I was last year with Dearness Johnson. Yeah, with uh, I was going to ask you as a follow-up to that. Like, So how are you handling these backup running backs on the Browns? the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, obviously you, you gave us an answer to like, how are you handling the, the guys that are kind of look like the handcuffs now, but maybe don't end up being the handcuffs in August. Well, the Jerome Ford one is super hard because if you're drafting right when drafts came out, you were getting him in the 18th round. Yep. So when you start seeing him going in the 15th creeping up there, like it's like, well, I already have a decent amount of Jerome Ford in the mm-hmm. 18th round. Maybe I don't need to really like keep pressing that button there, especially when I can get some other guys that I like either a little before or a little after. the 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 big question for me is the unsigned guys. That's what, what I mean. We, yeah, yeah Fournette and everything like that. So that's what you mean. So yeah, like because they're going to land somewhere on a team. They're going to be in, on NFL rosters. Do you think all three are? And if they are, are they going to be there by week one? Like, so I think Fournette for sure is going to be on a team. And like, I, think, I think Dalvin Cook absolutely will be on a team. Oh, by week so one. They, so he's different stratosphere oh, because of his sure, draft sure, position, and he's still being drafted at like RB thirty. That's yeah, fair. yeah. So he's still going like eighth round, ninth round. With Zeke and stuff. Hunt, Fournette. But I don't know if Zeke's on a team week one. I don't know if Kareem Hunt's on a team week one. So like that's the other thing you got to be looking at. If they are, it's probably because of an injury, right? I mean, they could still sign with a team. The Chargers have to sign somebody, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to go into the season with Joshua Kelly backing up Austin Eckler. But I also didn't think that they were going to do that last year either. So, I mean, maybe they are. But I thought, I think Fournette's a great fit with the Chargers this year just to be like that second punch behind Eckler. They've talked about him not wanting to like run him into the ground. They didn't want to do it last year. They ended up having to do it. So I think they're going to sign somebody. But to your point, yeah, 
who the hell knows what's going to happen over there in Cleveland, what's going to happen down in Dallas. I think Dallas is going to roll with Malik Davis, though. I, they can't bring Zeke back. They can't do it. I know it's Jerry Jones. Yeah, the but. optics, the optics uh, or something. And um, yeah, you look at the Chargers. So last year, non-Austin Eckler Chargers running backs, they had 130 carries for 3.3 yards per carry, 0.66 yards after contact per carry. Yeah. Like an absolute joke. Like <laughs> it's it's unreal. So like how how are you not bringing somebody in behind Eckler? And it's especially the player profile of Eckler. You'd want somebody yeah. to take some of that away from him. I mean, he's a he's a, an amazing football player. He's great and everything. But dude, cut this dude some slack. Let let's get somebody to run between the tackles here and there. I think Fournette's the perfect one because he can catch the ball too. So he can come in and do like kind of auxiliary Austin Eckler stuff when needed, but still give you that that second back that can do some stuff. So I think so have you been taking Eckler when he slides a little bit to like eight nine. Um, I have a little bit of Eckler. I have him more on DraftKings than I do on Underdog. That's the other thing that I've been kind of trying to be cognizant of, of what I'm doing with players on which site. And one of the big conversations I had, I think it was with Daigle. It was Daigle Gretsch and Kyle Dvorak. It was right when I was in the middle of looking at the scoring system because I don't think people are implementing the DraftKings scoring system properly. Because not only is it full point PPR, we're talking about bonuses as well. Especially for the quarterbacks, too. That And that was my big point. It's Quarterbacks might be quite a lot more valuable over on DraftKings, and so your elite quarterbacks for sure. You look at Patrick Mahomes. Our listeners are going to be sick of hearing this, but he had 10 300-yard games last year, and the next people that had anything close to that were, I think two people were tied with five. So you're talking about 15 points over the course of a season more already, which is like an extra mediocre quarterback game. Mix in the yards as well. And you're just adding and adding and adding. And he's separating from the field even more than he does on the other sites. So I think we need to start taking into account on DraftKings. Like, yeah, not only is it full point PPR, but there's bonuses. And those bonuses are better for quarterbacks and they're better for tight ends more than any other position. Because you can make up catches, right? Like if you're if you're getting full point PPR, that three point bonus, like Deontay Johnson comes out and catch nine passes, and the other guy that's got a hundred yards with on three catches, he's making that up. But quarterback, especially for when you're talking about like that Burrow, Lawrence, Herbert tier, who on underdog maybe don't look like they can punch up and be like the QB one, especially versus like a guy like Justin Fields, right? But on DraftKings, mm-hmm. like DraftKings hurts Justin Fields. Yep, like for yeah, sure. I- I agree. So it's, I think understanding where you're drafting and what your scoring systems are and how much of a different beast DraftKings is, I don't think it's talked about enough personally. I try to make sure to make a point. I thought about it. I looked at some of the data a little bit more. And I just think that those QBs are so much more valuable on DraftKings. So, yeah, like Herbert, like especially a guy like Herbert, who even last year as a disaster, he's throwing for these 300 yard games every week. Like he's hitting mm-hmm. that bonus every week, which is your rushing touchdown, basically. Right. 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 So like you need to take that into account. And we already know that on DraftKings quarterbacks are more of a premium. Like it's you can get locked out of quarterback by round 15 on DraftKings. So you need to be cognizant of that. It's like, do I want to take these second and third and fifth round quarterbacks? Probably. You probably want them on that site. I probably don't want to punt quarterback ever on DraftKings. I mean, sometimes you have to just based on the way the draft falls. 
but for the most part, if I if I'm going elite QB or some of the upper echelon QBs, I want to make sure that I have them on DraftKings more than any of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, that makes a lot of sense, a lot of inherent sense, especially because the bonuses. Right. Let's stick with the AFC West because I do want to talk about more of the Chargers a little bit, and just like some of the fallout from drafting Chargers is you kind of want a Denver Broncos bring back, <laughs> and I mean. It's the week 17 matchup, right? And and Judy goes so high. After you start doing this Charger stack, I have way too much Cortland Sutton right now. Like, I am overweight on Cortland Sutton, and I'm like, I didn't even want to be overweight on Cortland Sutton. This is just kind of happening based off of the way I'm drafting teams. What is going on with the Denver wide receivers? What is your read on on that room right now? Yeah, Sutton's another guy that like frequently like I end up getting just because it feels like he's so toxic and no one wants to touch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was completely overvalued last year, I had no court on Sutton last year uh, because of where he was going, um, and he would he just kept going. He's kept climbing all summer, if you remember. Like he just yeah. kept moving all summer long. Like he almost became like in the like a like close like a wide receiver like fifteen to eighteen range by the time the season closed. But he still gets the types of targets you want in this format right like he's still a big vertical target and he's going to continue to draw red zone targets doesn't matter that he didn't necessarily do a lot with them last year he's going to keep getting them and now you're getting him at wide receiver 40 um another guy expected to kind of be out on like given his profile because everyone was kind of out was george pickens and i find myself the same reason like these are the kind of guys like these are the the formats you want these guys in because like you like when it comes season long league like you if you take like george pickens you probably will pick the wrong weeks to start him mm-hmm. uh but you don't have to deal with that here right like right. he's getting all the targets you want to get like the big vertical targets the red zone targets so like when you're talking about like taking him uh where he goes i'm trying to think of like a good example of like a wide receiver that that goes around him uh like jordan addison right so jordan addison and him like are are in like a similar spot but like what kind of like big spike week does like does jordan hat or addison like have in his arsenal right i don't think it's as good I don't think it's, it's, it's as good as those guys. Um, and he goes way ahead of those guys because people look like the routes run and the Vikings are a team that are going to probably have offensive scoring regression. I have an article on that coming out tomorrow. Uh, and the Broncos inversely are a team that are probably going to be on the flip side. They're going to have positive regression towards the mean. So you're getting all these you know contributing factors of like, why not take Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 40 and sprinkle in some shares of him? The Broncos as a whole are interesting mm-hmm. because we need to see – Russell Wilson adapt to the current NFL meta. Uh, and, you know, it's been a lot of the, the conversation of let Russ cook over the years, right? But every Russell Wilson offense ends up looking like the Russell Wilson offense. It doesn't matter if it's been <laughs> Daryl Bevel, if it's been Brian Schottenheimer, if it's been Nathaniel Hackett. Russell Wilson is a play style that he has played with his entire career. Players are always going to fall into that, right? Like a, how they want to play. And the current defensive meta in the NFL is you're seeing less blitzing, less man coverage, a lot more shell coverage over the top, a lot of two high safeties. And Russ has really been punished the past two years because Russ is a big game hunter. Russ mm-hmm. has always been. He wants to throw outside the numbers. He wants to throw vertically. And the past two years, if you look at Russell Wilson, look at how many like third and six pluses he's been in because he doesn't take the freebies, right? Like he's like I said, he's a big game hunter. Now, Sean Payton, Obviously, he had Drew Brees, but like, can Sean Payton be the guy to get through to Russell Wilson to adapt to the current, the way NF, the NFL defenses are playing? 
because he has to or he can't survive. Like a lot of, I know a lot of people even talk about like, look at what Russ did after Nathaniel Hackett left. He wasn't good in those games. He was good for fantasy football. The Chiefs game in week 17, he ran for two touchdowns. He had like 18 rushing points that game. So at least that's cool. We have that in the range of outcomes. So at least he can do that. But in week 18, when he played the Chargers, he only completed 50% of his passes. He had the three passing touchdowns, but he wasn't good. Like he wasn't good in those games. He was an efficient quarterback. It's not like Nathaniel Hackett left and Russell's like, shit, I turned it on. He had fantasy points, but he wasn't playing good quarterback in those games. Now, can Sean Payton be the guy to get through to Russell Wilson and have him calibrate his game? Was last year a wake-up call for Russell Wilson himself to adjust to the way the NFL is playing? Because if he if it isn't, if this ends up just looking like all Russell Wilson offenses like we've seen in years past. That stru- structure of offense doesn't work in the way the way teams are playing defense right now. It just doesn't. So we need Russell Wilson himself to adapt and buy into some of this stuff that we know that Sean Payton's at least going to be drilling in on him. Well, what I'll say about Russell Wilson is at least this year we're not getting a lot of those cringy videos that he was posting on Twitter <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, the- that's not rule it out. I mean, it's just God. If there was a more awkward dude trying to do stuff on, on commercials? yeah the danger us commercial like what are we doing who okayed this why are we allowing this it just like it needs to be stopped and hopefully that bad season it's like all right maybe i need to chill out for a little bit and uh, not do these things and to your point to see what sean payton does with russ is interesting i also wonder what his leash is going to be i'm sure it's going to be like not a short leash but are we going to see Russ by by week 17? Is Sean Payton going to be like, this just isn't the dude? Like, we saw what happened with Derek Carr last year. They told him to go home. They were done with him. Like, I don't know if they do that with Russ, but the NFL is changing. When they're done with somebody, they just tell them to get the hell out of there. You know, lesser extent, Mariota just took his ball and went home at the end of the year when he was told that he was getting benched. So the NFL the NFL is a, is a changing. Best balls are changing, too. I, I, I love... I love that we're like trying to collect data on best ball over the last few years and drafts are so different already than they were two years ago that the data just isn't going to matter as much because think of what the ADP is this year for a lot of these players and what they would have been last year or two years ago. Tony Pollard would have been what third overall, fourth overall two years ago, something like that, at least a top five pick. And now he's end of the second round and we have all these, these other running backs like Bijan probably would have been up there a little bit more. And Derrick Henry would at least be a second rounder, not a third rounder. Uh, just the the landscape of best ball has changed in two years. So when we're looking at a 10-year window of this stuff, it's going to be a little bit wild. Um, let's get into the Chargers. Let's get into the other side of that game. Where where are you looking at this wide receiver core? Because we do have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen going relatively early, but people are really in on Quinton Johnson as well. You see Gerald Everett kind of slip, and people are really starting to push up Justin Herbert. How do you like to play the Chargers now? Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, Justin Herbert last year, uh, just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Obviously, you have himself. He has the the chest fracture early in the season. He, he plays a torn labrum late in the year. Uh, Corey Lindsley's hurt. Rashawn Slater gets hurt early in the season and plays 20 snaps. Uh, he only had 175 dropbacks last year with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the field together. While they were on the field together, he was excellent on a per-play basis with those guys on the field. Remember, the, 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 the three guys that led the Chargers in routes last year were Austin Eckler, uh, Josh Palmer and DeAndre Carter. Like 
Mm-hmm. There's a reason your ADOT goes in the tank, right? Not just Joe Lombardi's fault, but like when those are the guys that are forced to earn targets because they're because by default they're the best pass catchers you have, your ADOT's gonna plummet. That's what happened. It was just a big sting for him. Now you get hopefully these guys, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Now, granted, these have not been the two greatest individuals of saying on the football field, especially in recent years. Uh, so there's contingent value with Quentin Johnston. The Chargers were a really high 11 personnel team, so he does have a role right away. I actually think he he's best suited to play initially in the NFL as a big slot guy. That's not going to happen because Keenan Allen's on the team. But uh, the Chargers do run a lot in personnel, so he's going to be on the field. Uh, he's another guy that has like this huge upside. He's great after the catch. Um, I when you said I keep going back to like Jordan Addison, right? Like Jordan Addison's a guy I want to draft in these redraft leagues, but like in these best ball leagues, I don't think the players he goes around, he's like a better pick then. I just don't think he has the requisite like weekly ceiling of a lot of guys he goes around. Uh, Kadarius Tony, Jahan Dotson, even Traylon Burks, Gabe Davis, George Pickens, Quentin Johnson, Brandon Cooks. Like all of these guys, I think have way more spike week value than Jordan Addison has. Um, I think he's a lot more of like a floor based like redraft guy, right? Like I think he's a, a lot more like. Well, me and you are the only two that are on this page because everyone else is real big Jordan Addison stands, and I. I've asked multiple people and I haven't been sold on it and I just don't draft Jordan Addison. So me and you are going to be on one side of the fence of this and everyone else is going to be on the other, on the other. So I hope me and you yeah. are on the right side. Yeah. Every single one of those wide receivers in, in a best ball format that revolves mm-hmm. around spike weeks, I'd rather have than, than him. Uh, I think he's more of a guy that's going to be like a, a five for 70 type receiver. Like, and then you see where you run into the touchdowns again on an offense that is anticipated to score fewer touchdowns this year uh, from a top-down stance than they did a year ago. So, yeah, I'm totally with that. But, uh, yeah, the the Chargers guys, I think Quentin Johnson is one of those guys that he's going to be on the field a lot, plays with the attachment we want, um, and then also has the contingent value. So it's hard for me to, like, really push back on him. I don't draft a lot of him because he is pretty rich uh, because I do like those guys, like like Gabe Davis. I still think, like, I I remember we took Gabe Davis on the draft I did with you and Eric, like, a couple months ago because – it's a total buy the dip situation. Luckily, he survived. I was a little nervous that DeAndre when DeAndre Hopkins was like, "Shit, like man, these Gabe Davis bags are about to be in the books again." Um, but uh, the fact that Gabe Davis has like been calibrated and he goes in the correct spot of draft, like we said, Cortland Sutton, like Cortland Sutton's being drafted where he should be drafted, and it makes him more appealing to draft him there. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of where I am, you know, with Gabe Davis. So I've been taking more Gabe Davis than Quentin Johnson. Maybe I should course correct and just kind of balance it out a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the pros are pretty easy to to lay out for Quentin Johnson. All right, last serious question, um, and then we'll get into a couple fun things and get out of here. I went to Vegas. I was there for ten days, which way too long to be in Vegas. But you had a great cause. Yeah, way too long to be in Vegas. I mean, it was very much a specific reason to be there. But yeah, too long to be in Vegas. I go away for ten days. I come back. Deontay Johnson is a fifth round pick. Everywhere, what the hell happened? What did I miss? Like, why is Deontay Johnson? And I liked him on DraftKings. I wasn't really touching him on Underdog so much. I was grabbing him like in that seventh round on on DK for the full point PPR stuff. What did I miss? Tell me, tell me, did I miss somebody touting him? Did was there a report that I missed? What's going on with Deontay Johnson? Yeah, so you did. You missed some tweets. Uh, Obviously, you know Matthew Harmon has been dropping the reception perception charts. Uh, those always seem to move the needle on people. Also, uh, 
ESPN. Oh, I, I don't want to butcher his last his his last name. It's Seth something. I don't know it. It's the guy that does the re- receiver separation stuff though. And they basically revealed that like Deontay Johnson's been like their best guy over the last three years of separation. It's like those mm-hmm. tweets kind of went around uh, in circulation a little bit. Uh, and everyone's been talking about how underrated of a real life player he is. And I think that's what's elevated his ADP. Uh, he's a guy I largely don't want any part of uh, where he goes. Um, because <laughs> well, again, definitely like, now. I mean, there's just no, like, like again, we care about the spike weeks, right? Like, I think he's a solid player, but like, I look at like Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins now, like in that rushing nesting doll of guys that like are going to earn targets, don't do a lot with the targets they do earn, don't have like a lot of touchdown potential. Th- th- those guys do fit builds. Like, I don't yep. mind, I'm not saying ignore those guys, get 0% of those guys. They do definitely fit builds. But when I look at myself with the Steelers offense, the two guys I consistently gravitate towards are Pat, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, and George Pickens. Uh, and I expected to be totally out on George Pickens, right? Like, but the where he goes in drafts and what he offers um, on a team that, that we know is going to score more touchdowns than they did a year ago, like the price is just right. Uh, now Deontay Johnson's in nothing but climb. Najee has climbed all the way as an RB1 now. Uh, basically, hands off there. Uh, no way I'm doing that. Like, Najee would have been great in the NFL 15 years ago. <laughs> um, for fantasy yeah. football, but like I, I, he's going now as the RB twelve. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Mixon news if like Mixon rejumps him, uh, and that kind of flip flip flops. But Najee's been getting steamed. Um, can't take these guys that they have like the low like ceiling type guys uh, as they're getting elevated. You should have already gotten them by now. Deontay Johnson was the perfect player. He was like the inverse Kadarius Tony, where if you drafted like two or three early yes. running backs, right? And then you had like a quarterback already and a tight end, and you're now you're starting to fill in wide receiver and you're way behind just to have a guy on the field that's going to get you that 10 to 12, 13 points on a weekly basis. And then you can take some swings later. He was the perfect kind of guy to fit into mm-hmm. those lineups. So he, you know, when you're drafting, these are the things you need to be thinking of. So he was he was on some of those builds for me when when he was yep. seventh round. But now that he's fifth round, I don't know if you can still do that with him. It would be very difficult because you're talking about taking him as your first or second wide receiver now, as opposed to your third or fourth to to build out these teams. So it's unfortunate. I it was like a little cheat code for me on DraftKings, but you know, as as best ball season goes on, we kind of lose those and we have to find new ones. All right, let's have let's let's answer a question. In Seth the chat. Walder was the name. I'm, I I I looked it up. It's Seth Walder. So I apologize, Seth, for not off the cuff uh, knowing your name. But uh, he put out the, the the information on the the wide receiver separation stuff. All right, Seth, you can send me all the hate mail. I will take it. All right, so we do have one question in the chat. I'm gonna, He's in a best ball draft right now, a slow draft, which are the worst. He says, I "Have an end of draft part." playoff bring back question for you guys i have jacksonville and green bay stacks going in a slow draft and looking for a buccaneers bring back are you taking russell gage kate otten or trey palmer i guess that really depends on like what you're looking for if, it, if we're just picking one of these guys it's kate otten for me but do you have a uh, a preference yeah i mean uh i would say just a top down stance kate otten makes the most sense obviously if you have tight end filled then you don't need to chase right like uh, yeah. so then i would say probably russell gage would be the the next two the next guy in line um there <laughs> all right all right let's go out we were talking about something before the show and i want to bring it up on the show and we, we were should. having this discussion all right let's talk about the arizona cardinals and i guess the rams as well and 
at Giants. Let's talk about Kurt Warner. I forgot he was a Giant. He was a Giant. Totally he was thought. a Giant. I totally uh, blocked that out of my memory. Yep, that was a thing. He was a he was a Giant before That's Eli. Funny. He was the last quarterback before Eli, right? Yeah, and he um, and he backed Eli up for a year or two as well. I believe, as I recall. Well, he was the starter the year Eli came in, correct? Yeah, and they were calling for Kurt Warner to stay as the starter or to come back as a starter, and then he finally went over to Arizona, took them to the Super Bowl, was devastated. I really wanted the Cardinals to win that Super Bowl, too. I did not want Pittsburgh to win. That's neither here nor there. What we need to talk about, what we were discussing before the show, has anybody seen the Kurt Warner movie? Because I've never met anyone. Nobody has seen this movie. They they aired the commercials for that at nauseum one NFL season, whenever that came out. You could tell me that came out 10 years ago, and I would believe you. I think it's probably more like three or two years ago. But that trailer was the worst movie trailer I've ever seen in my life. It looked – your, your comparison was spot on. It looked like a Hallmark movie. Yes. And it got a theatrical release. And it, it, it looked like an SNL parody. Like, like you were looking at an SNL parody skit for like the Mario Kart thing. Like it just looks so bad. I don't understand how this thing got greenlit and how they made it the way they did. That director must not work anymore. Right. Yeah. It was uh, such, I've never met anyone that's seen this movie. Uh, We were, we were talking about it. Um, uh, It's, it's crazy to me that you say it had, it had what, uh, Dennis Quaid was it was Dennis Quaid in it. Obviously, Zachary uh, Levi, Levi was uh, Kurt Warner, but Anna Paquin was in it. Like they yeah. had like legit yeah, people Paquin. in it. Um, how much this movie couldn't have made like that much money though? Uh, I've <laughs> never seen anyone talk about it. Like even after it came out, I don't remember even seeing it. Like I remember seeing the guy that played Ray Lewis like in the scene of the trailer and thinking it was so laughable. Like it was, it was crazy to me. I was like, this can't be real. Like this can't be a real thing. Uh, if you thought like Zachary, uh, Zachary, uh, Levi looked funny, like wearing the muscle suits as like Shazam, like seeing him as a, like an NFL quarterback in those. And like, they were like all dark, like the, the, the scenes yeah. were all dark. Him throwing. It was just really weird, man. I've never seen it. I've never met anyone that's seen this movie. I got to look up on box office mojo and see what this movie made. What, what I remember thinking when I saw that trailer is, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, the room. Like they, they made the whole, the disaster artist was made after the making of the movie, the room. It's like, yeah, 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 to be the worst movie ever made. And I love it. I love watching that movie because it's just so bad. It's so much fun. If you ever get a chance to go to a theater and see The Room, it is one of the best movie experiences you will ever have in your life. There's like, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show where there's like interactions, like the crowd does certain things during certain scenes. Um, people bring plastic spoons to throw at the screen and everything. It's a ton of fun. It's a blast to go to the theater and watch. But Tommy was out on that and like the real movie, he bought a bunch of green screens and he had a rooftop scene and he went to set up the rooftop scene and he was like, all right, we're going to set up all the green screens around here. They're like, why you have a skyline? You don't need the green screens. He goes, no, we're using green screens. So instead of using like natural, <laughs> natural, like, like background, he just put up green screens and put in the sky anyways. And that's what those football scenes look like to me. Like just the worst CGI black uh, green screens of all time. Like it just looks so bad. I can't believe that it was made. And to your point, I didn't see anyone even making fun of how bad it is. Just nobody watched it. Yeah. I looked it up. It made 26 million. Um, so no way. 
Yeah, that's, totally. that's way more than I thought it would have been. Yeah, five million opening weekend, twenty-six million total. Um, I have to imagine the cask got paid a good amount for. I mean, I guess like I mean Zachary Levi is like at least kind of like a hotter news. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. That movie just oof. I think uh, we were talking about this as well. Maybe one day, maybe myself, you, John Daigle, somebody else. We we'll should get watch together. it. We'll watch it. We'll do it. We'll do a drinking stream where we watch the Kurt Warner movie and uh, see. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to it being good. I just like it's one of those <laughs> movies like it's only it came out, what, a year ago? And I feel like it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Where like, is it? <laughs> yeah. Where is that movie streaming? Let's look that up real quick. Let's see if we can find um, where because, that. You know, people love like shitty sports movies all the time. Like, see how many people like like love draft day every time the draft like the draft comes around. People are like, oh, I watch draft day every draft. I'm like, this is a, like one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But like, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's on Netflix supposedly. So this right. is something we can I'm make. The, well, I don't want to watch it until we all watch it together. Yeah, no, it. we all have to watch it together. It's it's not a thing to to watch individually, then watch together. This has to be a an experience maybe we'll do it in discord i don't know we'll figure it out but we'll we'll get some people together we'll watch the kurt warner movie and we'll join we'll have people join us and uh it will be it will be an experience i've done this on hometown ghost stories we've had some of our patreon members come in and watch some bad horror movies with us so that's always fun but yeah maybe maybe a couple of us will get together and watch the kurt warner movie we, we were supposed to do that and um we were going to do, you asked me what I wanted to pick, and I was going to pick Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I just yes. found out it's the 30th anniversary of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm still waiting. Whenever you and Dago <laughs> want to do it, we'll do Killer Clowns from Outer Space. We're, you know, we're always doing horror movies every other week. So whatever works for you guys' schedule, we will jump on. We will talk about Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The first horror movie I ever show, saw. Right? Are they not make, bringing it back as a TV show? I believe they are bringing it back as a TV show. Um they're bringing it back as a video game. I know that. Okay, that's maybe that's what it is, is a video game. I, I know they're doing a video game, which is real interesting. So, But Killer Clowns from Outer Space, very first horror movie I ever saw when I was like three or four years old. Um, so I had like a, a clown phobia because of it. Yeah, one of the, the one of the earliest ones uh, for me. The first uh, horror movie I've ever seen, it was a movie called uh, The Dolls. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing this as like a real be shitty horror movie where like the toys come to life and like are killing people throughout the house and i remember thought just thinking like i I watched it way too early and like all my toys were just coming to life like it was just terrifying i'd like move them out of my bedroom at night (laughs) that was the thing about like being born in the 80s like i think we were just subjected to some stuff that like we had crazy kids movies already anyways with like the dark crystal and all that shit like they just would never make those movies for kids nowadays we just had the scariest shit ever uh, and, and like childhood. people forget like PG-13 was different back then than it is now we just had this conversation because we got to argue with my buddies that Doc Hollywood has nudity in it Mm-hmm. which it totally does absolute fact but it's a pg-13 movie because like you got away with more stuff back then than you do now uh yeah so like even stuff would come out as like pg-13 and our parents would be like oh they could watch that and it was like totally like we can't watch this like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's just so crazy like what we had back then but that's gonna do it for this episode rich why don't you plug 
you said you have an article coming out tomorrow. Why don't you uh, let the people know where they can find that and other stuff that you're doing? Yeah, all my stuff's at sharpfootballanalysis.com. I'm doing a, a team regression series where I'm looking at more like team data. Last week I did a league-wide series that was looking at like league-wide trends. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're not someone that just wants to be railroaded by like individual player takes, it's uh, some kind of food for thought based on the league and teams, you know, start walking us through some of these scenarios of like, could these teams be better than we think? Could they be worse? Uh, and how that would impact like you drafting ADP. Um, other than that, you know, check out the draft kit that we have going on all summer. Uh, there's a promotion through Underdog where you can sign up and get the draft kit for just one dollar. Uh, all that stuff's on the site. Go check it out. Yeah, make sure you go read Rich's stuff. As I always say, him and John Daigle are two of the smartest people that I know in the industry. So always check out their stuff. Until next time, we will catch you later. Peace. One. Those were some spicy takes. Want to stay up to date with all of the other spicy takes we're going to have over here at Spike Week? Why don't you press that subscribe button below? You turn notifications on, we draft a team, boom, you know about it. We have another spicy take, boom, you know about it. You can be there. You can draft with us. You want to stay up to date? That's how you do it. All right, we'll catch you later next time here at Spike Week. Spike Week.